0: It's April 11th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and this is the podcast where we read through the New Living Translations version of the One Year Bible. And it's called Reading the Bible Together because I would love to hear your thoughts. I believe the Bible comes to life when we read it in community. With that said, let's jump in with today's reading, starting in Joshua chapter 3 and 4 for the Old Testament. So early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Arcadia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your position and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark make sure you don't come any closer. I want to pause there. I know we're pausing early, and I'm going to try not to talk too much today. Uh, But um, that just stands out to me because we see two really cool things about God, and namely in Jesus. Uh, So in the the Old Testament, this is before Jesus. It points to Jesus. Uh, And the New Testament is after Jesus and tells us how we live in light of Jesus. And what we see here is the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. What is that? Uh, Well, to the Israelite people, the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence. He was in the Ark of the Covenant. And I think it's really interesting that first and foremost, it tells the people, when you see the Ark, you follow the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, you follow God, uh, verse 4, because you've never traveled this way before. See, it doesn't matter that you've never traveled this way before, as long as you have God with you. He will guide you. Uh, And then at the end of verse 4, we see, but they're supposed to stay a ways behind. Why? Well, because it's a reminder again, in the Old Testament, uh, God is wanting relationship with his people. He doesn't need it, but he wants relationship with his people. But when a holy God and a sinful people try to have relationship, there are just problems that are created. Because sin cannot be in the presence of holiness. So we see that they had to revere God, they had to respect God, but God wanted to have relationship with them, and he wanted them to follow him. Now, for the New Testament Christian, what's awesome about this? Well, in Hebrews, we find out that because of the blood of Jesus, because he came and lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, and rose again from the dead, uh, that if we place our trust in him, we are counted righteous as he is. In other words, we get to now draw near to God, because God doesn't see us as sinful people. No, we're not sinful people now. We've been made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is amazing uh, see, now we don't have to follow a box at a half-mile distance, uh, but the Holy Spirit actually resides in us if we are Christians, and He will lead us. That's really good news for me. Uh, in this season of life, I have been spinning my wheels, uh, not knowing exactly which way to go. There's been a lot of uncertainty financially and with my job and, and the leading of the church, and and I've just been really encouraged to know that it doesn't depend upon me, that it's the God of this universe who will lead me if I will trust the Holy Spirit in me. What a beautiful way to start our Old Testament reading. Continuing on in verse 5. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning Joshua said to the priest, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Then Then the Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Geshurites, the Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priest will carry the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. Let's pause. Throughout scripture we see uh, God doing famous feats with water. Now you probably, even if you have a little bit of an awareness of the Bible, know in Exodus uh, that when God is freeing the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, uh, he leads them to uh, a sea. And as they get to the sea, uh, they think, you know, this is this is the end for us. Like, we can't go anywhere else. The Egyptians have caught up to us. The Dead Sea is here. What are we going to do? Uh, and then we find this amazing story where, you know, Moses raises his staff and, and the sea splits and dry ground. And the Israelites, God's people walk through. And then as soon as the Egyptians begin to walk through, what does God do? He releases the water and uh, the Israelites are free. The Egyptians have been defeated. But really, throughout Scripture, we see water, and water represents, generally, God's wrath. Um, it, it, it represents God withholding his wrath as an act of mercy, and it represents God uh, giving his wrath. So, in, back in Exodus also, Moses, when he's a baby, he's placed in a, uh, a carriage, uh, if you will, a basket, excuse me, and he's placed on water. That basket saves him from water. Uh, we see uh, in, in Genesis, Noah's Ark, what what does God use to display his wrath? A flood, water, and it's through the ark that the people are saved. Uh, we see in the New Testament, Jesus, when he dies, when he pours out his blood for the world and they, they stab him in the ribs, what comes out? Well, it's not just blood, it's blood and water. The wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus It's an act of mercy for us. The New Testament Christian, when you believe in Jesus, your first act is what? Is baptism. Uh, Peter would say you are saved by water. He's not actually saying you're saved by baptism or by water, but it's saying that God has preserved you from his wrath because Jesus faced it. You are dead to your old self when you go in. It's like a watery grave facing the wrath of God, representing Jesus taking that wrath on for you, and then you rise again to new life. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God beautiful picture of water throughout scripture. When you see it, think of God's wrath. But if you are a Christ follower, think of God's mercy. He has saved you through the water, through the wrath. And our great ark is who? It is Jesus who did what we could not do, lived the life we could not live and died the death we deserve to die. So that we might, if we believe in him and his resurrection, share in the blessings of the righteousness. And one day we too will be resurrected. And even right now we get to live as kingdom citizens. Verse 14, So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zareth. And the water below that point flowed on the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho, Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Chapter 4. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, Take twelve stones from that very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the Ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Let's pause again. Uh, so we see that um, they're building a memorial to remind them. Why? Because we as humans are forgetful. and We're all like children who you can take them to Disney World and then you, you, they forget that you spent all this money on them and as soon as you pass McDonald's on your way home and they're throwing a fit because you wouldn't stop and get them a 25-cent toy and a Happy Meal. We are just like that. We forget what Jesus has done for us. We forget the amazing blessing he's given us. And then as soon as something bad happens in our life, we say, oh God, why would you do this to us? We are forgetful. We need to remember. And as Christians in the New Testament, we have a few things that help us remember. Our gathering. The reason we gather, it's not because the church is a place or a building, but the gathering is important because every single week on Sunday, we take a whole day to rest and remember what? Remember our freedom in Christ. We, we should come and hear the, the word of God rightly preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, singing songs about the good news of Jesus so we remember. It's why we do baptisms at our gathering, to remember what God has done. We see what God is doing in somebody else's life, but it should cause us to remember what he's done in ours. It's why we take communion. Apostle Paul says when we do that, every time we take it, we are proclaiming to ourselves and to the world outside what Jesus has done by breaking his body and pouring out his blood. We need memorials, and that's exactly what's going on here in Joshua. Verse eight. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed a memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed, and when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle, and the Lord was with them as they crossed over the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they revered Moses. What an honor. Verse 15. The Lord had said to Joshua, Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they came to Gilgal just east of Jericho. It was there that Gilgal, that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan river. Then Joshua said to the Israelites in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord, your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the red sea. I think earlier I said dead sea. Um, (laughs) I'm not preparing for these podcasts, and you guys get proof of that about every time I do it. I meant Red Sea, Uh, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, so you might fear the Lord your God forever. That concludes our Old Testament reading. I normally don't stop that much, but a lot stood out to me today, and uh, what a rich reading. I'd love to see and hear what stood out to you as well. New Testament reading for today is Luke chapter 14, verse 7 through 35, verse 7. When Jesus, when Jesus, excuse me, uh, noticed that all who had come to the dinner, remember Jesus is eating with uh, Pharisees, we learned that yesterday, were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, and then you will be embarrassed. And you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his hosts. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. (laughs) I think the guy in verse 20 is the only one that's honest. He said, I got married. My wife tells me where to go now and she says, I can't come to your party. (laughs) I love that. Um, Verse 21. Uh, You just get an insight into my ADHD brain every time you listen to a reading on this podcast, don't you? Verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might only complete the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Let's pause. What's going on here? Uh, Jesus uh, is unlike really any other religious leader in the fact that he doesn't beg people to follow him. he's, He's not trying to gain a following. In fact, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I want everything from you. So you better be sure I am who I say I am. Uh, And I think really we would do better as a Christian um, people to make sure we we help people count the cost. Following Jesus is not easy in the sense that you're going to be able to do whatever you want. No, you're going to deny yourself. You are saying, my life, I'm hedging it all on Jesus. So the way I spend my money, the way I do my relationships, the way I do everything is going to be different because I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And if Jesus isn't who he says he is, then I've wasted my life. Let that settle in. You can't halfway follow Jesus. You either follow him or you don't. And if you follow him, denying yourself, giving everything up, and he is not who he says he is, the Apostle Paul says, then we are to be the most pitied. Now, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe fully and totally in the resurrection, and I've experienced it. I've experienced salvation. I've found peace. I know purpose, and I know that living for him is the only way to truly live fulfilled, even when it doesn't make sense. But I've counted the cost, and you need to do the same. I and mean, When we invite somebody to follow Jesus, let's make sure they count the cost, because it's not just roses and rainbows. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone who hears, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That concludes our New Testament reading for the day. We will now move on to the proverb of the day, which is found in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27 and 28. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. The path does not lead to death. Now, moving on to our psalm of the day, we will be in the 80th psalm. And generally, what we like to do uh, when it's not a super long psalm is pray through the psalm verse by verse, or just kind of as the Lord would lead me, because that's what I try to do in my own devotion time. And I would encourage you to do the same. But since it is a longer psalm today, I'm just going to read through the entire psalm and then pray once at the end. I would encourage you, though, as the Lord leads something or points something out to you or something uh, sticks out to you. Pause and pray, or pull out a paper Bible or Bible on your phone, and, and just pray through and read through this 80th Psalm on your own time. It says for the choir director, a Psalm of Asaph to be sung to the tune "Lilies of the Covenant," verse one. Please listen, O Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God make your face shine down upon us only then will we be saved o lord of heaven's armies how long will you be angry with your prayers with our prayers you have fed us sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful you made us scorn of neighboring nations our enemies treat us as a joke turn us again to yourself o god of heaven's armies make your face shine down upon us only then will we be saved You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. But now, why have you broken down our walls so that all who pass by may steal our fruit? The wild boar from the forest devours it. The wild animals feed on it. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted. This son you have raised for yourself, for we are chopped up and burned by our enemies. May they perish at the sight of your frown. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn again to yourself, Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Father God, uh, we hear over and over as a refrain in this psalm uh, that we need your face to shine down upon us so that we might be saved. And Asaph, as he writes this psalm, prays that you would bless the son. And I assume that he was speaking about the king himself at the time. He he felt like he needed wisdom and blessing uh, so that he might... Uh, lead the people to turn back to you. And Lord, we know that ultimately Asaph was just pointing to, and ultimately the son in the psalm is speaking of, uh, whether Asaph knew it or not when he was writing it, uh, your son, Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate way in which your face has shined down upon us. As sinners destitute and separate from you, sinners, enemies of God, Lord, you made a way through your grace and mercy in the Christ Jesus. Who would come and live the life we couldn't live and die the death we deserve to die so that we might have his righteousness and he would take on our wrath be forgiven of our sins Lord? this is good news for us because we no longer have to sh- carry the shame guilt and condemnation for our sin it's been completely paid for lord we have the holy spirit now right now lord the gospel's ongoing it's working in us we're becoming more and more like jesus every day and we are empowered for the mission and purpose you have given us the pathway you have us down And then, Lord, ultimately, it gives us a future hope. The salvation is yet to come through Jesus in which we will one day uh, be in a kingdom fully culminated. The kingdom is here now, but it's also here with the kingdom of death. And we know one day it will be nothing but the kingdom of life. Lord, we will ultimately, fully, and totally be with you. No sickness, sadness, or tears as the kingdom of God will reign and rule. And we as kingdom citizens will be resurrected into new bodies, perfected, glorified fully to worship you. Lord, we know your face has shone shone down on us. Lord, just remind us of that when we forget. Lord, help us to turn to you, turn back to you in all the areas in which we've turned away. We've turned away from Jesus' wisdom to our own wisdom. Lord, I pray that many today would for the first time trust in you. And it is in your name I pray. Amen. Well, that concludes our reading for April 11th. I found it really rich, and I hope you did as well. You're going to really enjoy Joshua in the Old Testament. Uh, I know because every time I've read it, I have gleaned so very much from it. And I hope to see you back here tomorrow as we'll be back in Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, for the April 12th reading of our podcast, Reading Through the Bible Together.